Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. Where are we going today, Danielle? We're going to a place called From a Certain Point of View. And we're going to talk about structure and like mixing it up. First person, second person, third person close, third person omniscient, and then also writers that do that and how it's really hard to play with structure and point of view um, in our work. And yeah, I'm going to whine a lot about how it's really hard. So. <laughs> well, good. But before that, uh, let's catch up. We have been on a bit of a break and now we have returned to the Deadline City streets, but you know, the deadlines never stopped. They just got too much. Yes. Um, I'm on deadline for book two in the Marveler series, which I'm very excited about. I got some headway um, from the help of some other wonderful authors, uh, Marie Rakowski, Holly Black, Kirsten White, um, really just helped me think big picture and think about motivations. So I got, you know, I got to talk story with them um, a couple weeks ago, and that like helped me re-anchor myself into the manuscript. So I'm working on that. I'm also working on a secret thing that involves some wrangling of peoples. Um, so <laughs> I've got, I'm working on that vague, 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 um, and still forever working on my adult. Your adult. I mean, once that book is done, you're just going to have, it's going to be great because you're going to be able to like give it a little bit of an edit, obviously let me read it and then send it out into the world. Yeah. I've been watching all these like sexy shows, um, and like, um, you know, different romance shows too, so that I can have, like, I watch my magic shows for the magic and then the sexy romancy, like movies and TV shows for that so that I can like combine, (laughs) which I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I have been, um, working on a self-publishing endeavor with a couple of friends. It's called Amore Actually, and it is nine holiday romances, uh, written by seven Latina authors. And that's coming out December 7th. And so we have been hard at work all, all year, but really things really kicked off this summer. So, um, I wrote two stories and, you know, had to do like developmental edits and copy edits all like back to back. And so I didn't really have time to like come up for breath. Um, because I was, I'm also working on a secret project and, um, the next book in my con I'm contracted for. And so I'm basically on like three months staggered, uh, deadlines. So I have to turn in a new thing every three months and, uh, I'm falling back in apart. business. This is like back in business. This is like your normal operating procedure. I don't want it to be my normal operating procedure. I know you don't, but it has <laughs> been for the last 13 years. So like, you know how to do this, but yeah, so that's, that's been going on. I've sequestered myself in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. And so that's where I am writing. That's what I'm, I'm, that's where I'm writing for the rest of the year. Yeah. Living your best life. (laughs) So amazing. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it's the same, <laughs> same story, except it's cold where I am and you have the warmth. So you're winning. Hashtag winning. I do. Um, I do. Yeah. And it is beautiful. I went to the beach this morning, then oh. came home to do oh. Deadline City stuff with you. And yeah. Oh, so I um, tore you away from the beach. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm 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 taking this week off because I have a friend visiting. And it it's really like I haven't taken like true, 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 true time off in a while. So I'm just like I'm getting trying to gear up so that I can go get out to the races real hard. Yeah. Uh, this week. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And um yeah. It's just every day is board deadlines and admin and everything. But, like, we get to make stories for a living. So, you know, very grateful. But definitely overwhelmed, definitely tired. I spent the entire weekend sleeping um, because I just had a week where I was just running out of breath. So, um, so yeah, there's that. And now we have to dive into point of view, which is fun because – this has been top of mind for me because for my middle grade that comes out next year, which you've heard me talk about this season quite a bit, um, it is told in third person close. However, and you follow a little girl named Ella, and you think you're just going to hear from her, but then every once in a while, it's pretty regular, but um, you hear from the villain uh-huh. who is up to no good. And she's an adult, and it's also third-person close. And so I haven't really played with timeline in an, in an interesting way um, in terms of and, – and point of view. I've only ever done multiple point of views, whether it's in third-person, whether it's in first-person. Um, and my other book that comes out, The Rumor Game, you also get interested – you also get, like, um, mixed media – and that was like exciting to to play with. You also get mixed media in um, in the Marvelers, and so I have my things that I like when it comes to making um, making my books and you know the point of view of my books. But I've never done anything where I've like switched tenses or done timelines where I'm jumping around in time. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to push myself creatively to tell stories in different ways going forward. And it's really hard because I'm stubborn. <laughs> I mean, it has nothing to do with being stubborn. It just has everything to do with you know what works for you. And the experimentation is purely for you. Yeah, but I mean, I still want to learn and and I still want to like shake things up. Like, and do interesting things um, mm-hmm. and see how much I can do. Like someone like Tiffany D. Jackson tells stories structurally super different each book, right? Her first book, allegedly, it's an unreliable narrator. Um, you get information from a case that this uh, person, Mary, is being accused of. And, and you see her sort of live that out. And you can't figure out who's telling the truth and who isn't. Then you've got Monday's Not Coming where you go back and forth in time to showcase something that's happening and you are putting the clues together as a reader. And she uses different points of views, different structures in a way that like makes you stressed out. Or like um, I just started, I'm going to look up the book right now. Um, Her name is Ligia. 
you've read this. All of this is true. Ligia de Penaflor. Penaflor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved that book. I thought it was yeah. really smart. Talk about the points of view. Talk about the way that it's told because I love books like these that shatter my expectation for how stories are supposed to be un- be told and unfurled. Um, in the same way, like that different points of view can like really open up your idea of like what you can do with a character. You know, I actually, when I read this book, it's been years, it's truly been years. Um, but this book, uh, reminded me a lot of kill the boy band by Goldie Moldowski. Mm-hmm. And, and Goldie's book is more satire, like true satire. Um, but Ligia's book is not. And so, but they both tell the story of unreliable narrators. And so you walk into these books with an expectation for a a mystery, a thriller. And what I love about having the point of view of um, an unreliable narrator is that they're literally telling you that they cannot be trusted because of X, Y, Z. And depending on who you are as a reader, you might either believe them or super not. But I think that what the author has to do is take both into account and still subvert those expectations. So by the end of the books, I was like, I, I felt like, oh, I did not expect that that was going to be the avenue that that's where we reached. And I really appreciate when writers can do that. Um, cause I've read books where I'm just like, oh, this is going to happen. And then literally that is the thing that happens. And I don't think I, I can enjoy a book like that, but it's not going to like, I'm not going to think about it seven years later. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's just very interesting to think through what possibilities you have as a writer, what tools you have in your toolbox to tell stories in particular ways. Right. And there's nothing wrong with a good old fashioned. We follow one character from beginning to end. Right. Um, but, and just straight up narrative, you know, you can make all kinds of stories work, but I think now that we're several books in, sometimes I like to play with points of view and play with structure in a way to keep me excited about what I'm working on, to make it a puzzle, because I'm trying not to do the same type of book twice, right? Or the same kind of thing that makes it feel like there's nothing new or interesting in the world. Like I get, it's not that I get bored, but I get bored with my own techniques or with like when my muscle is not working, right? Mm-hmm. When it becomes like, just like I can word vomit something out. And that's what I, I want to be challenged. And I think that's what I love about reading widely is that I'm challenged and I can see how people in lit fic are doing something or people in romance are doing something. Um, but it's funny you say that in romance because romance is some of the, the, the books, the type of books where little, there's little room for, for, for such dramatic change, right? Like, I'm not saying that we can't experiment with structure and things like that, but like romance is very constricted. I guess because it's not like YA. So like, I like, for example, I'm reading all of the Bridgerton books and I did not expect them to go because I don't know the genre. I did not expect them to go from kid to kid. Right. Oh, like, like follow that. That is yeah. very much a thing where like you, right. you have a premise and then you follow 
all the guys at the tattoo shop or like all the guys in the, the werewolf alpha club, right. Or like the motorcycle gang or like that, that is, that is a setup for sure. Right. And I had never experienced that until I started reading romance. Mm, I see. It's not I see, something I see. that I think is, is something we do in children, in the children's book world all the time. Right. right? Kids want to follow one character and they want to be with that character all the way through to the end. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Until you do a handoff. Right. And then here, like, that's if you can convince somebody to stay in a very specific world. Um, But yeah, it's just really interesting because I think that, you know, there are writers like Nora Roberts and um, Beverly Jenkins and Debbie Maycomer, right, who are like these big giant authors who have 30 books in a series. Yeah. Like, their writing is so consistent and I don't, I haven't read enough to say that there's no delineation, but I wonder, like, if I sat down and I read all 20 books in Nalini Singh's um, Angel uh, Paranormal Romance Fantasy series, like, what, how does point of view affect that series? How does, how much does she experiment with POV and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm so curious because, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing to to sharpen your muscle with for me. Um, and I find for a lot of writers and a lot of classes that I teach, um, point of view is hard. Sometimes I encounter writers that are following the wrong point of view, right? Like the, to make their story exciting. I know that when I first started writing The Marvelers, I had two alternating points of view. And then I got to a point in the story and I was like, I just need one. Let me cut all of this and like redo it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that structure and point of view can be very interesting um, when wielded uh, correctly in your in your book. And I think I admire writers who swing at big structure things and take the point of view um, of the character that we might not might not be most intuitive to follow. Like I always wondered why. For example, in like The Great Gatsby, why are we following Nick Carraway, right? Right. He's the least interesting person in that book um, to me. And I'm like, I want to follow Gatsby or I want to follow the Daisy or, you know, the girls or Jordan Baker. Like Nick was like, ugh, I was so bored with him. Um, and really? all the good, yes, all the because good Nick stuff provides, was happening Nick provides the distance of an outsider coming into this world. I know, but I want to be in the inside, I think. There's a book uh, called The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is like a queer reinvention of The Great Gatsby. Um, but there's like demons in it. And, and so you still have like, um, you still have all of the characters, but here the, the POV shifts, right? Cause it's no longer being told, uh, from Nick's point of view. That's like, that's a way to reinvent a classic, but like, I know you're not talking about that, but that's, that's like the thing that came to mind when you brought that up. Oh yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and I guess point of view is so, so, so important. And I guess I really like books that, take unconventional points of view or um, try something different. Uh, For example, there's a book called Falling Into Place is a contemporary book, and it is about a girl who makes a bad decision and she's in a car accident. And then you learn about this girl and nobody really liked this girl and who her ex-friends are and, and all the things that she's done. And it's in these like 
short, small episodes and you don't know who's telling the story until you get to the very end. And that's crucial. Like you, you question it all the way through and you're like, God, who is this? Who is this? How are they able to know all of these things and go around and all of this? And then once you figure it out, once you know at the end, you're just like, oh my God. And you scream, right? And like, there's something about that, that I love. Like I love sometimes having a puzzle where I'm like, that whole narrator was lying to me or like, whoa, like lie by, by omission. Right. And I just want to challenge myself to get better, get better with selecting point of view, with playing with different kinds of structure, um, writing more unreliable narrators and messy and messy girls. Like it's just something that I'm fascinated by. And when I get sucked into a book because it plays with the structure or has mixed media or has a timeline that jumps all around, like I get really excited. It's like when I see a film, um, that does that like 500 days of summer, right? Oh God, I hate that movie so much. I know you hate (laughs) that movie, but I love, I loved how it told time not the actual ingredients of the movie itself, but how it told time, how we went backward and forward, backward and forward, and got pieces of someone's relationship or who they are, right? That's what I was fascinated about. Like, I was so tired of that, tired of the couple themselves or the non-couple, but I liked, I'm like, can you do that in a book super well? And what would that look like? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I think that, you know, the, the the thing that for me the most important thing is voice, uh, and then I would go to point of view. But I I do I always like one of the biggest questions that I have in the beginning when I start writing is like who's telling the story? Whose story is this? And that hmm. dictates to me who the point of view should be from, right? Um, because you're going to follow this person for the next three hundred plus pages, so it better be the right person. <laughs> Or the right people, right? Because I like you have right if you have multiple Mm -hmm. points of view, and then like in certain books, like one of the big questions that I have right now as I'm writing my adult is because there are romantic elements. Do we follow the guy, and why? And when do we make those kinds, or you know, the love interest? When do we make those types of determinations? Right. I think generally contemporary romance, oh, but you're not writing contemporary romance. In contemporary romance, I think it is very typical to go back and forth between the guy and the girl um, or between the two love interests, right? Like male, but, male, female, female. Um, right. That is generally, I've noticed that a lot. The very few instances for me, uh, I have read, like we're just reading in the, in the, this year, very few instances where it's just one as opposed to both. Um, so that is like a silent rule, I think. And yeah, it feels like a silent POV rule. But mm-hmm. how about when you combine it with contemporary fantasy? In I the adult know. space. I don't know. I don't know the last contemporary fantasy I've really read. Because when um, I was reading a, um, a Discovery of Witches, it, you do get to see Matthew's point of view, but it's very irregular. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about how do we feel about convenient point of view shifts? Like, I'm of the opinion that if we're going to toggle around, if you want me as the reader to care about all of the points of view that we follow, that there should have some consistent rhythm. 
that I should get to spend. It doesn't have to be fully equal time with all the points of view, mm-hmm. but I need to be able to anchor in. Um, I think I that I think that they should come as needed. For instance, in Sinner uh, by Sarah Simone, we get the girl's point of view maybe three times or four times, but because it is his story, but we see her angst in, in some sections. Um, but you still get it four times. What if she only gave it to us one time? I can't remember. Well, one time is just like, I don't think that it's worth doing what, but did, okay. Okay. Now I'm going to go back on my own agreement because in six of crows by Lee Bardugo, the opening chapter and the epilogue, and they're not called prologue and epilogue. They're just chapter one and last chapter. Right. And, um, and so those two are from two completely different POVs, right? In the beginning and 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 bone in her shadow and bone trilogy, each book opens up with a third person point of view that is distant. It, but it's one. still, but it's still, it's still Mal and Alina. Like it's still They're Mal and Alina. following them, but it's, it's not in the eye. No, absolutely not. But it's what I mean person. in Six of Crows, it is a completely different character that has yes. nothing to do with any of the crows. Yeah. So it, and to me that it's like writing a prologue without signaling to the reader, oh, this is a prologue. You're going to want to skip it. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's how you sort of in a time, this was what these books came out 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Like in a time when people were burnt out on prologues, I think that this was a really smart way of being like chapter one juiced instead of, I think I'm pretty sure that was his name instead of like Inej or Kaz or, yeah, or Wylan or whatever. Um, so like that is a smart way of subverting that in a time when you're like, okay, prologues are boring. How do I establish this world without bogging down on too much information? Mm-hmm. But that's an, that's like an example of irregular POVs where they only happen once, but they work. And I feel like Lee can make so many things work at this point because all the information in those intro outros is what I, I think of them as is so pertinent. It's just like when I first started um, Shadow and Bone, the first book, I was I was like, oh my God, this isn't third person. Like it switched. And that like was drawing for me at first, but then mm-hmm. I got into the rhythm, right? It was like intro outros. Um, and it it's also only like a page and a half. And yeah, like, very quick. Yeah. And they set the stage. But like for me as a writer, I would have never thought I could do that. You see what I mean? Like, mm. I feel very boxed in by all of the education that I got around writing. See, I dropped out of college, so I was like, I'm just going to break every single rule that there is to break. Yeah. <laughs> well, I... Are goody two-shoes. I was also a goody yes. two-shoes. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> why are we pretending like you are not a goody two-shoes? Because I'm a rebel, and I dropped out of school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. So Whatever. also in Incendiary and in Illusionary, um, I also start the book in third person from a different point of view. Okay. Because um, I needed to tell a part of the story 
without doing a flashback that bogged down the action. So you see it, you have an idea of who the villain is, and I wanted to construct a picture of the villain, of Prince Caspian, Castian. Mm-hmm. And, and I needed you to see him in this way, devoid of like feeling, just like this is third person. I'm just telling you what's happening. And then we go into the story. Yeah. It's, but I don't have epi- I don't have epilogues. Uh I love epilogues. I love epilogues. I have a series um, epilogue, but not a book epilogue. Yeah. Like I love an epilogue. Like I'm trash for it. And I know some editors don't like them. Some readers don't like them. And I, look, romance readers love an epilogue, so you better have I'm one trash. in your adult. I book. will have one in my adult. Um, I have one in The End of Illusionary, and it's my favorite part of the series. (laughs) It's so good, yeah. And I have an epilogue in the Marveler series, too, so that you know you can get a sense of what's coming. Um, I love that. It's like the little cookie at the end of the Marvel movie when you wait past the credits. And then it starts again. Like, I love Absolutely. And like, and that's a structure thing, right? That's another like way, like way to play with point of view is to use an epilogue um, to uh, pass the baton or to do something different. Um, And I guess I just want to challenge myself to play with point of view more, to give myself the ability and to push myself creatively to play with structure, point of view, who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, timelines. Yeah. Um, because I'm scared. I'm naturally scared to to break the rules in mm. fiction. Um, and I need to But be the rules of fiction broken. are meant to be broken. I know, but I don't know if I have the skill to do it, but I need to tell myself huh, that please. Show your face. Set your oh face. Oh my God. How you can know you even say that, that I can I yeah, but I don't get it. Like you're already the bomb.com. Like whatever. I just, and then you yell at me when I'm insecure. Okay. Look, this is what it is. Okay, so basically what happens to me is I start a story and I'm trying to figure out how to make it more entertaining or exciting or do something different than the last story that I've written because I want to keep my writing experience feeling good and feeling fresh and feeling interesting and engaging. And I think that playing with point of view and playing with structure is a way that I can remix some of the things that I do well, right? Um, And constantly like work my my muscle work my mm-hmm. plot muscle get better and better it's why i watch a lot of tv and film and like people are always like uh you watch so much tv like you watch tv and i'm like i watch it because it really teaches me a lot hollywood teaches me a lot about the visual medium and and also about um how stories can and can be told and i love watching things that are different than what i write and and how can I glean from that? Like I'm obsessed with a couple of shows that have strange structures, like um, a show called High Maintenance mm-hmm. on HBO Max. I it's one of my favorite shows, and I was just at Y'all Fest with Justin A. Reynolds, who I'm going to talk about him, and he's also into structure and and point of view in a very particular way. And literally, I was talking at a little like we were getting salsa. Um, 
and uh, chips. And I said, oh, I love this show. And I'm wondering if you can do it in book form, like a high maintenance where you don't really know the narrator really well, but you know all of the places that the narrator touches. And that's like the premise of the show. It's literally about a weed dealer in New York and you watch him go make his deliveries. And so you see the people he's going to be delivering to and you get like a, you get that slice of life of them and then his interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Um and as he as he goes through his business, and you don't learn a lot about him until like later seasons, like a little bit at a time, like you build. And it's a fascinating way to tell a story. It's a snowball, right? How do you create or keep a person of mystery and you snowball it? And I just love fun structures like that, or You May Destroy Me, that show as well. I was like, oh, it shows showcases the different aspects of a person's life and what's happening to them, but in a very interesting way. And I love, I guess I love puzzles, as long as it's not a puzzle like The Witcher, where I can't figure out what the hell's going on until a certain point. But now I know, I when I go back and watch it, now I'm like, oh, this was great. Like, once it, once I once I figure it out. But in the beginning, I complain, as you know, until it clicks all the puzzle pieces. But I want to create more books like that because it makes the writing experience for me feel more exciting. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you. I don't know. I, I, I think that I always, I want to push myself to write better books. I don't know if the answer is always like playing with a bunch of stuff. Um, the one thing that I want to focus on most is voice first, and then everything else comes after that. Um, but I have really enjoyed some books. Like I've had a really hard reading year. Like I actually read, I read like a hundred and ten books this year, and I you call that a hard reading year? Yeah, because like I haven't enjoyed all of them. <laughs> Oh, oh, I thought you meant like you didn't get as many as you wanted. No, no. I mean, my original goal was 133 books, but that's not going to work out. Um, unless I read, uh, 24 books by the end of the, by the, in the next month. Let's say, so like, let's take something that people think is cliche, right? Like flashbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I read Legendborn, there were historical flashbacks. So good. Through like spirits. And that like it was just enough of a tweak that it made it feel super fresh and super good and engaging. It doesn't slow down the pacing. It accelerates it. Right. And so I think that you can use any tool and just sharpen it to your own needs and then it'll work just fine. Right. Like, um, there's a book called the Rose by Tiffany Reese or rice. Um, and it's my first book by Tiffany by Tiffany, and she's like a an erotic romance favorite. Uh, and so I I picked up this book because the cover is beautiful, um, and it's We're about four for a good cover. Yeah, and I don't normally like reading books about like my romance books being about like wealthy people, but this one's about like a wealthy British woman. Her dad her dad bids on like an antique, and gives it to her for her birthday, and it's like and it's and it's this like Greek olive oil jar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's this man who's like, I would like to buy this from you for like a bajillion dollars. And she's like, I don't want to sell it. And he's like, well, it's actually a magic jar. And I'm part of this cult of Eros who's Cupid. And so she's like, every time you drink from this wine jar or olive oil jar, I truly can't remember if it's olive. It's probably better if it's wine. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's wine. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's wine. I'm pretty it's, sure it's wine. You're See, killing this, me. Look, every time you drink from like it's it's dangerous to drink from it because something happens when you drink it. And so structurally, these two people, when they drink from this this item, they fall back into time in this like dreamscape. Uh, it's a wine cup. I just looked at the definition. Wait, um, so they go back in time, like the way that when you touch the stones? No, no. It's it's more like it's in their. It's so vivid, but it's in their mind. But they're going back to like the ancient time of the Greeks. So like to act out fantasies, sexual fantasies. So one would be like um, Ariadne when she helps Theseus come out of the labyrinth and then she's given to him as like, you know, this is my bride. I claim her as my bride. And so like they, the two main characters embody these Greek mythical beings in their mind and have sex through those fantasies. It is the weirdest structure and such a weird book, but it's told so beautifully and the line level is really tight that I was just like, I'm in here. I, you were ready. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm willing to, to stay in this weird thing. They even do the, she even does the myth where Zeus turns into golden rain and impregnates somebody that way. And like, you loved it. And I was like, this is so fucked up. It's literally, <laughs> a, it's it's literally a golden kind of shower. <laughs> I can see you like, but so like, loving it. but that's, you know, it's, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. but again, taking a structure of, um, a dreamscape, which is definitely can run into the cliche stream super quickly, if not done, if not yeah. done correctly. Oh, absolutely. And I just, I guess I'm interested in being surprised. And like, if I was reading that book, I would have been surprised by those choices. And that's what's exciting to me is, is those levels of that level of surprise Mm -hmm. um, and excitement. um, And to push me to not do the thing that like I'm programmed to do that I'm overly educated and been taught to do to run sometimes in the opposite direction from like, you know, my initial instinct on the way to tell the story, right? Um, and I just find, I find this kind of stuff to be the fun stuff. I've never written outside of first person point of view or like first person present or third person past, like close third. And okay. so I've never done anything other than those two things. Like I know some people like to write in third person present, which scares me. I like reading that because it feels very much like first person, but it scares me to write in that. Um, what point of view is Rakitia in? I don't remember. You're in third person past. Yeah, past. Yeah, third person past. Um, but like the Night Circus, Addie LaRue, I believe, um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, they're both in third person present. Okay. I believe so. And so that is, that's also very interesting because I'm, you know, I'm afraid to try that point of view or like a second point of view. Like I, I don't know how someone does, does it. Um, and then I read in a short story collection called Black Enough, Kekla Magoon's um, 
story in that collection is told in second person and it is extraordinary. And I was like, I see the possibility of what something can be. And then like with timeline, I'll go back to Justin E. Reynolds, his debut, um, opposite of always. And even his second book, early departures, he's a writer that plays with structure, with time, with point of view in very interesting ways that enhance and create like stress. Yeah. (laughs) Stress, um, upon reading. And I really like that because I'm looking for an emotional experience. Like I'm looking for my heart to be racing because that's a reminder of like when I first became a lifelong reader where a book affected me so badly that my physical body was responding to reading. Um, I was sweating. My heart was racing. I was stressed out. Like I'm looking for that. And point of view and structure, I think, has the ability to create that um, that mood and aesthetic. Another author who does, who incorporates other materials in her work is um, Alexis Daria. And so in A Lot Like Adios and in You Had Me at Ola, which um, is part of a, a series where you follow three cousins. So in in... You had me at Ola. Uh, it's about two actors who are in a TV show, like a Netflix-like TV show called Carmen in Charge. And so you read, she also wrote the interstitials of the telenovela that they're acting out. So as you see, um I love that. I love as that. you like you see you see them, you see like the 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 thing that they're acting out. Um, and so you see the, the fake characters fall in love and the characters, the hero and heroine that we're supposed to be following also. And in the sequel, a lot like the, the companion novel, a lot like Adios, she has, it's two ex-best friends who, uh, reunite as when they're older after high school. And when they were in high school, they were writing a, a, a fan fiction, kind of like Latino star Wars. And, And so you get some of those interstitials of the scenes and the scenes always match something that's happening, the interior life of the main characters. Yeah. I, I just love it. I, I guess I just love the unexpected and like, I know some people don't like these kinds of things in their books and I'm like, ugh, I love it. I freaking love it. I just really think that when you're several books into this career, right? And you're trying to stay tethered to story and to the page. Playing with point of view, playing with structure can keep your storytelling muscle fresh, help you explore different different things that you don't normally do, um, and test, test yourself. Um, another book that I love is Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is told in like, it's like epistolary. And Everyone told me epistolary doesn't work. Epistolary yep. doesn't work. And then I remember the first epistolary novel I ever read was Dear Mr. Henshaw by Beverly Cleary, clearly. And I remember feeling wrecked by that and then reading The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Flower, which is also right. epistolary, and being wrecked by that. And then Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And I was like, wow, like this can be done. It See, can this is be the done. Thing. Well. Everything that we tell writers not to do don't do prologues, don't do flashbacks, don't do whatever, um, don't do epistolary. Yeah. These are all things, the rules that have been broken so well that you don't care. 
right? And so, like, you just have to do it well enough that your reader follows you, right? Like, you've made a promise to your reader. Another epistolary novel that I really loved is a paranormal one uh, called Darker Still by Leanna Renee Heber. So And good. that one is really good. It's historical. Um, it's kind of like uh, takes elements from... Um, Dorian Gray, where the painting is alive, but here the painting is literally alive. Like this, there's a there's a hot young guy stuck in a in a portrait, and the young girl who's writing her diary is like, "I need to help him." <laughs> yes, so that um, I can be with him, and, and so ravish me exactly. <laughs> yes. That's a Hebrew book, <laughs> yeah, and and it's like, of course, only see you know her wrist or her ankles, um, yeah. but but like like everything you said. You have this fear of being boxed in, but you also have a fear of breaking the rules. And I think that like you have like you're very good at following your gut and your intuition and doing and in the end doing a Danielle book, right? In the end, it's gonna be your voice. It's gonna be like a book that speaks to all of the things that you love. And I think that that fear works in your favor because you're still gonna do it. And it's like a motivator. And so I think that like maybe a takeaway for our readers is if you want to play, this is something that you should stretch, use it to stretch your muscle and try and see if like, if you're stuck, try a different point of view, try a different structure, try something out of the box, even if it scares you. And if you're, if you're happy in the box, if you're happy, just telling a straight up story, A to Z, like that's good too. But yeah, other avenues. And I think this conversation has actually led me to believe that when I do my first revision of my adult fantasy, that the male point of view needs to come in. <laughs> Good. Like, like it's, yeah. I yeah. I think that this conversation has showed me that, that it could be amazing to have that male point of view. And I don't like writing men or boys. <laughs> like, I avoid it. I do. I love writing men, but I know you do. I avoid it. I don't know why. I just find women in the company of women to be extraordinary. So like I <laughs> need, and I love my dudes. Like I do the dudes that are in my life. I, I love them dearly. Um, but I need to do better at writing, trying to write them. Cause it, it is not my muscle. I'm going to try to find some examples because this is the thing when it comes to romance, these are not real guys. Like, right. to be honest, like, I, I'm sure somebody's going to be mad at me for saying that, but, like, the men that we write in romance are the ideal version of men. <laughs> but I want to write that, too. Like, I need to write that. Like, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I don't think that, like, they super exist all the time. Of course, there's going to be an author who's like, he's based on my husband. I mean, Diana Gabaldon says that all the time. About um, Jamie Frazier? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god why did you just break me why did you just break me i did not know that the king of men jamie frazier james frazier my beloved through time mm-hmm. yeah i mean some some writers say that but you know uh, and that's that's fine if that's who he is like that's who he is but i think that like you'll do a good job also i'm gonna read it and be like i'm gonna try to find a list for you of like books that do the male pov well yeah, I would love that. Like, and listeners, send me any suggestions you have. Like, I really want to try. This will be how I stretch my muscle, how I really push myself. And I might, what I'll do is I'll base it on a man that I know so that it makes it 
easier for me to channel. Not like that, but more in terms of like personality uh-huh. so that I can see if I can do it because I've honestly never written a male point of view before. I can't wait. Yeah. Look, and like, it's, 20, it's about to be 2022. I we just, know. We got to take I, all the chances and it's going to be Sorry, boys. I, yeah, I have not. My next book um, ha- has a guy POV. Um, okay. But yeah. it's third. I, I'm pretty sure this book needs to be written in third. Orchidia was also written in third. So. Yeah, it's in third. Like, and um, my adult is in third. I, I can't. I'm not going to do first person. Um, my Santa fantasy is also written in third, and it alternates. <sighs> oh no! Here we go. It's it is the time of the season to start talking about this. But like, oh boy, readers, you're not ready. You're just not ready. Nobody's ready. Nobody's ready. And the things nobody's ready. Nobody's gonna know. It's just because it's a secret. It's secret, but like, let's see if you can find it out, Deadline City listeners. <laughs> if you want to hit my Kofi, I might tell you. <laughs> we'll see. It's gonna be the biggest secret of the season. Um, yeah, girl. But, but yes. But in conclusion, take a swing. Try different points of view. Find books that have different storytelling structures than the ones that you constantly write or that you feel most comfortable in and test yourself. Like that's going to be one of my big goals for 2022 is to be a little bit more unexpected in my storytelling choices, run straight into the things that make me afraid in my writing to see how I can really grow. Um, And I hope that everyone else tries it too, because it's actually a fun, if not painful exercise, but it's definitely fun. Yep. Do this. Challenge accepted. That's it for this week's episode of Deadline City. Thank you so, so much for listening in. Our goal is to demystify the publishing industry and count on listeners like you for your support. If you like what you hear, comment, subscribe, give us five stars and share the episodes check out our Patreon and Ko-fi information at deadlinecity.com slash support. See you next week. And for now, ride on.